Hello and welcome to Don't Talk About It. I'm your host, Dean D, and today I have a friend with me, Stephen Cordoba, and he is a QMHA, which stands for a Qualified Mental Health Associate. We've been having some great conversations lately about environment, um, about how making mental health is your first priority, and how coping skills throughout the day, environmental stressors, can really like wear us down and break us down. And if we do this each day, then we don't fill that cup up, and then we got to do it again. So this one is called The Breakdown. And Stephen, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful. It's great to see you, Dean. It is really good to see you too, Stephen. Like um, Father Joel, I have to say Stephen um, is a friend who has been very close for quite some time, and we haven't seen each other at all since uh, COVID happened and made our, ourselves uh, available today to take our conversations and share them with you. So, Stephen, I know 2020 has been really freaking nuts for a lot of people, and we are definitely part of that tornado and uh, we both have some big life changes and I don't know kind of maybe start us off with uh, some of your experiences lately and some of your more so awareness when it comes to environment your work and just kind of how COVID has impacted you overall with a new perspective absolutely so you know as everyone in um, in the world has been affected um, by this pandemic. And I mean, really, there's been multiple other factors kind of contributing um, outside of just COVID. Um, but being as someone, um, my career is in mental health, um, but I work primarily in a healthcare setting, um, which is actually how Dean and I met. Um, and at the beginning of the pandemic, um, it was definitely you know, I could definitely tell that things were going to be different and that um, the cracks in the healthcare system were very much going to show um, when it was put under such a heavy strain. And being the social services person at my previous position, um, I was working with our clientele trying to tell them that, hey, everything's going to be okay. And, and, you know, it was putting a lot of strain on myself when I, in good faith, was going through some of the same kind of loneliness, the same panic that they were. And, you know, I had to tell them, no, it's going to be all right. And I'm here for you. But then I was like, well, who's there for me? That's the, that's the scary thing. And I, if I would say that the biggest thing that um, this whole pandemic has taught me is, well, you know, when you go home and you're alone at the end of the day and you look back on your work day, no matter how passionate you are about that job, no matter how much you love the idea of what you're doing, if you're alone with yourself at the end of the day and you don't feel satisfied, you feel hollow, and all you have is to just go home and be alone, um, what what comes of that? What what do we do about that? You know, I had to, a lot of time to spend with myself this year to think about the kind of person that I want to be and the kind of satisfaction I want to gain from my life. And what I kind of started to realize is I really wasn't happy. Um, and I 
always wanted to deny that because you always want to think positively about your work environment and um, be grateful for the opportunities. But it turns out I wasn't having a lack of gratitude. I was having a lack of satisfaction. Wow, that's a really good opening statement, Stephen. It sounds like we've got a lot to chat about with that one. A little bit. The, the first thing that I'm going to jump to is you mentioned that you weren't, you were going home at the end of the day and there was nobody there to save you. And you had spent all day saving people. And growing up in a family of saviors, my grandmother worked in um, caregiving for quite some time. My mom is a, a school secretary. You know, now they've, uh, it's administrative assistant. Um, and so she is constantly putting other people before herself. And at the end of the day, the only person who's there to save you is you, right? So if you're not making yourself a priority, to model it for these people that you are saving, so to say, then you're really no better off than they are, aren't you? Right, as in who's helping the helper at the end of the day. Yeah, that's a great, that's really a great point, too. It is. It's who's helping the helper, and that's why... You know, we really can't be hypocrites about this. We have to be honest with ourselves. And I know at least this year I've looked at myself and said, hey, I kind of screwed the pooch on that one and didn't really give myself the amount of liquid I deserve to fill that cup, so to say. Um, so with this realization that you've had, what's, what's changed? How have, how have you taken this awareness and put it into action? Well, I'll be perfectly honest, um, you know, and, and, and I'm not going in the realm of saying names and all that sort of stuff, you know, um, perfectly professional and I'm always happy and I'm definitely winking a lot at Dean right now. Um, <laughs> but my, uh, you know, I had backed myself into a corner with my career where I felt like I couldn't go anywhere. I kept telling myself I'm trapped. Um, this is the best job, this is the best opportunity, because I had, in that job, I was suddenly so successful after having many years of struggling financially and professionally. Um, just a few months before I got my job there, um, I was living out of my car and was working temporarily at a, a potato factory, you know? So, and, and my income, like, almost quadrupled in less than six months. And this awesome opportunity for a young guy, like that it really took a chance on me. And I felt like, man, I can't walk away from that. Who else is gonna hire me? What other great opportunity am I gonna find? And what I realized is, when you convince yourself that you're trapped, you don't look for a way out. <laughs> that is so true, that is so true. Um, I wrote something down while you were talking there, Stephen, and it struck me. You said you hit a new level of financial satisfaction, and I can I can relate. Um, Stephen and I used to work together, and we both found ourselves in an environment that was going from community to corporate, becoming more less valued and more toxic. Um, work 
became harder and harder each day to get out of the car and walk to the office. And that's something that we shared, which actually started this conversation. Um, but what you said really resonated in me is finance first about how you got this big promotion. And, you know, I know, remember growing up with a father who basically has this attitude that unless you make six digits a year, you're a failure in life. And I know that's where I was so focused for so long is needing to be at a finance first level of satisfaction. Um, and like Stephen said, in addition to is I was terrified to leave because I thought, you know, who's going to hire a wellness professional for that amount of money? Um, you know, given I was doing corporate, I was, you know, traveling and flying and giving presentations. And, but it was this opportunity where I, like Stephen, had also convinced myself that if I left this opportunity, another one would never present itself. And my epiphany that I received from this change that Stephen's talking about that I also went through this year as well is... I think he'll fully agree with me here is we both went through this reckoning that if you put finance first, that means you're putting your mental health and happiness second. And, you know, I, I know this is like a dumb little quote, but Ricky Bobby, you know, if you're not first, you're last. And, you know, and I feel like that's how it is, is like you put finance first and you only focus on your first bullet point, your first win, and that's it. So, you know, mental health has a second. You're like, oh, you know, second isn't that bad. I'll still make time for it. No, you won't because I never did. I don't think Stephen has. He's looking at me like he, like he didn't. You know, I'm, I'll let him chime in here in a second as soon as I shut up. But it's like if you put finance first, the only way that you are going to start to find mental happiness is if you don't follow it up with more financial BS. And what I mean is getting more money to buy more things isn't going to make you more happy. And at the end of the day, feeling fulfilled, feeling balanced, feeling like your mental health is your priority you know, maybe your responsibilities aren't as high, so you're not as stressed. Um, but when you put finance first, you have to put something second. And I think it sounds like mental health was also your second runner-up here, Stephen, wasn't it? Well, you know, it's like the, the pot calling the kettle black, uh, you know, kind of in the same vein of earlier, as I was saying, um, you know, working with patients uh, and telling them that mental health should be their priority. And then I would go home and not take care of my own mental health or put it secondary to, you know, financial gain, um, things like that. You know, um, I felt like a hypocrite. And, and I, know, I know you feel this way. I don't like hypocrites. It's, it's my biggest pet peeve. And if I ever feel like I'm starting to catch myself in that, then that's when I need to start, you know, making some changes. Um, I wish I had the actual article to reference, but um, I'll go a little off the cuff here, um, that my therapist, um, he and I were talking about my educational goals. 
Uh, you know, I've always been wanting to go back to school, get a graduate degree, you know, move on to higher, more well-paying professions. And, um, you know, I was talking to him about like, oh, you know, I just got to make more money, got to make more money and all that sort of stuff. And he said, you know, I just read this study that showed that money actually does buy happiness up to a certain point. And that once you start making $75,000, $85,000 a year, the more you make past that point, it's diminishing returns on happiness. Because at that level of finance, you know, in most areas of the country, that's a pretty comfortable living. And, um, you know, actually a lot more comfortable than a lot of people, you know, that we meet and we encounter will ever have. But, you know, you kind of get into that. I'm a very competitive person. You know, you get into a good paying job and then you're like, I got to do more. I got to do better. And I'm the kind of person, no patience. You got to have it now, now, now. I wanted it yesterday. Um, and I wasn't being patient with myself and I wasn't giving myself the space to think about what my real priorities are. And I actually, you know, I brought out the, the psychology books from when I was still in school and, and brought out Nietzsche. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Um, and one of my favorite quotes from him is, what does your conscience say? You should become the person you are. And, I mean, I just got full body chills, oh, you like know, just that. saying that out loud. Um, but it's really true, you know. Like, when, when you look at yourself, when you look at your whole person, it's easy to forget that you are in control of everything that you are. And not just your people's perception of you but who you are and how you view yourself. And if there's some, you know, incompatibility between, you know, your goals and your current situation and your environment that's affecting you and you start worrying about other people's opinions and policies and things like that, you put yourself in a box is what I started realizing. And this was a, with the help of a, you know, actual licensed therapist, not um, some dude on a podcast. So, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not licensed professional, but um, the common experience that I feel like Dean and I are sharing here is um, something that a lot of people can really relate to and probably find some inspiration in. Absolutely, Stephen. Uh, I'm going to, I wrote down a couple bullet points here that I want to jump back into. Uh, the first one is, I think Stephen and I read the same article. And what it has to do with is the fact that once you can financially cover your living, you can pay for a house, you can pay for a car, you can pay for food, you can pay for your bills, and you can have a little extra fun money. Um, once you pass that point, the extra fun money doesn't become more extra happiness as you get extra fun money. And it actually starts to turn towards this level of competitiveness. And, you know, so, you know, Stephen and I definitely read a very similar article on buying happiness. And, and I can share with you too, Stephen, that um, with me, with my job, I, I kept feeling like I had to do more and I had to get to a different title and I had to get to a better salary. And you know what I was doing with my extra money? Making extra house payments. That's it. Welcome to happiness. I mean, honestly, like, really, does that sound that thrilling? I don't know. I'd be pretty happy with that right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to be able to, to make those extra house payments to get to a goal quicker, you know. But, like, it wasn't fulfilling, like, my happiness bone because 
the trade-off at that point was in order to get to more money, I had to start putting more things on my plate that I didn't want to do. And I had to start removing things from my plate that I actually enjoyed doing. And for me, that was, I used to spend a lot of time doing one-on-ones with uh, residents and employees. And so one-on-ones is just like, um, you know, kind of wellness counseling. And, you know, spending that time to empower people and help them find their goals from a different perspective with some more creativity. But that wasn't the priority at that salary price. Once you start climbing up the salary chain, the people who are giving you that money want to see money in return for that money. So in order to do that, you become office bound. Now you're focusing on removing things that provide happiness because it provides a better budget. It provides a better net operating margin. You make more profit at the end of the year. And I mean, I don't know about you, but you're talking about being alone when you get home. 2020 for me was a lot of time with myself, like forcefully way too much time with myself. But at the same time, from that, I realized that I'm actually not alone because there's two versions of me. There's the version of me that's confident, the version of me that wants to be better, the version of me that I strive for, and then there's the version of me that actually exists. And trying to find happiness with both versions is, I've learned to be my biggest challenge with this year towards my mental health. And for, for, for me personally, it was a big flip going from money to mental health. And there is some like really like fetal position crying sacrifices that you have to make. Like, you know, me wanting to get a new vehicle and just putting that by the wayside and saying, you know, I'm very happy with the vehicle I have. It works. It runs just fine. Um, but taking some of those things that I've turned into a priority and recognizing that they're not going to give me the return that the investment in myself is actually going to give me. So I know that was a lot, Stephen. Were, were, you on, were you on that? I mean, with that article, um, have you made any of those discoveries? Well, you know, I, when I was looking at my, you know, when I finally started looking outside of the self-imposed cage, so to speak, and um, I found a really awesome opportunity to start doing some work that I really love um, that was not, a, you know, with the company we, that we were both a part of, um, you know, I interviewed for this job, and I, and the second I walked in this facility, I just knew I wanted it. You know, like you just know sometimes, and it was just the right vibe for me. And the interviews, both of them, were just amazing. And then um, I kind of came down. You know, it was like a week or two later, I had the offer, and they had offered me uh, significantly less than what I was currently making, and that would have required me to you know, tighten the belt a little bit, you know. I was looking at the possibility of maybe selling my vehicle, you know, and, and getting something a little bit more economical. Um, and actually, you know, someone who was working with us, a friend and a colleague, said, you know, I was coming to her for some advice, and I was like, I just don't know what to do, you know. I'm so caught up on the money, um, but I really want this. And she said, sometimes you have to take a step backward 
in order to move forward. And it, that really resonated with me. And then, uh, you know, because I'm the silver-tongued devil I am, I actually ended up talking them into matching my salary anyway, so I didn't even <laughs> need to stress out about it. But that's besides the point, is I didn't, you know, I have this fancy new title, and I have this fancy new job, and everyone's very impressed in my social life. But then they kind of give me that weird look when I tell them that I'm not making any more money, you know? They're like, well, what do you mean? That sounds like it would make more money. I'm like, yeah, it definitely does, doesn't it? But, um, but it wasn't about the money. And I was willing to take a $12,000 a year pay cut because I wanted to be happier. So that being said, where is that happiness? Is it's not the money? Is it, is it what you're doing with the passion or the, like, the work itself? Or is it the environment? So I, I am in a similar but different environment. And, and you know, when we're talking about, um, you know, because now I'm in healthcare administration, um, we were previously working in a nursing home, and now I'm working in a mental health crisis resolution center. Mm. And it's a different environment. And, well, for one, the clientele is different. I am very passionate about working with people with mental health needs. It's why I went to school. It was my whole passion. So that part of the environment just so much fits me better you know it's it's amazing but then it's the energy I don't know it you know when I walked through that facility I was actually very lucky in my interview with this new place um, that they let me come and do an in-person interview and tour the facility despite the pandemic and that meant a lot to me because a, a big part for me is I I need to know the environment I'm going to be working in and when I was walking around this facility, this open concept kind of building where everything was designed the way it needs to be, but then just the attitudes of the people that were there and the vibes they gave me, I was like, oh, that's a different beast altogether. And a lot of, you know, just being truthful here, a lot of the problems that I started having with my prior occupation was with the people that I was working with conflicts with them, disagreements, different views that we had. And at a certain point, you kind of just hit the point where it's like, okay, I'm just going to shut up now. You know, there's no point in saying anything else. And I know you feel the same way. Absolutely. <laughs> so I had to sit and think with myself, why is it okay that I get into a screaming match with my boss and then my day is ruined and I go home and I'm angry and all I do is just eat and then drink and go to sleep and just angry you know because I was carrying work home with me I was taking that energy home with me I'll tell you right now something you know about my new job is when I leave that building that energy stays there that's excellent that sounds like good boundaries Steven and you know it's it brings us to kind of this next segue into our next topic or next questioning within the topic oh it's an interrogation now a little bit <laughs> so you you did mention the the importance of environment and you know i realized as i climbed the ladder as, as far as titles go um the environment kept getting worse and the egos kept getting bigger and it's like it was less about what is best for the company and more about like I'm right, goddammit. 
this is what we're doing because I'm the boss. And it was a lot more, kind of, you know how the, I guess the saying is dick waving, so to say. And it, like, the whole sense of, like, friendship, community, teamwork, like, modeling, positivity, environment, like, that you felt at the frontline level, the more you moved up, the less you got of that and you notice like there's this huge disconnect and eventually over the years that I was there that trickled down and then those frontline workers were just as unhappy because the environment that was up at the top has now trickled itself down to the bottom and for me what I realized makes a lot of that worse is what Stephen's talking about this self-imposed cage because you trap yourself within identity. And it's what I am based on what I have. I have a title. I have a car. I have, you know, I don't just have a car. I have a freaking Audi. I have a Mercedes. I have a BMW. I have a 3,500 square foot house. I don't have a 900 square foot house. You know, all these things change. And it starts becoming more about what I have instead of what I am and you know when you're really focused on what you have um, it is extremely trapping because what you are always has the ability to change as you enlighten yourself and educate yourself you have that power within yourself to change but if you bought a really 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 nice fancy house and all of a sudden some bigger dick waver comes in next to you and you know buys a bigger house well you're still trapped within that house every day you there's nowhere for you to grow to, let's say, outweigh them and feel better about yourself. Where when you focus on what I am instead of what I have, I have noticed personally that that is what really helped me get out of this self-imposed cage. And the more that I saw that, the more I realized how my environment was just toxic as tar. I mean, I felt like I was just trapped in quicksand. And, you know, I was staying there on the optimism that things would be better, not the reality that things were actually enjoyable at the moment. Um, and, you know, since then, like, I've actually been kind of doing some apprenticing work here and there with a friend um, who's a little behind this year he does finish framing so like deck work and patios and big overhangs and everything's really heavy and you hurt yourself a lot and it's hard work um and i've been going out there doing some just apprenticing volunteer stuff because i i want to learn and my wife just needs me out of the house <laughs> i need somebody else to talk to besides this microphone and and you know the work itself is extremely hard and I'm getting paid nothing and I'm coming home at the end of the day feeling so good and I realize it's because I'm spending time around somebody who I really like and the environment is what's different and you know so for me working hard isn't directly related to breaking you down where the environment if you spend all day in this toxic environment and it takes and takes and takes and drinks and drinks and drinks from your cup, then you don't have anything left when you get home. Um, 
And that's just something that I've noticed directly with this change is I went from a really big title, a lot of money, to literally working physically. I feel like every day I go to the gym for like eight hours. Every time I go out there, I feel like I just go to the gym for eight hours. That's what I do. I wake up sore. I'm on my foam roller. I'm in my bathtub. I'm trying to make myself feel better. But there's something strange about it, and it's the fact that it's extremely enjoyable. Um, and it's just like, wow, is, is what you're willing to trade on your, reminds me of that judicial scale, you know, where (laughs) each side's weighted, like, what are you actually putting on one side of the scale when you take it off for financial gain and for these what I am, what I have, instead of what I am moments, like those titles and those things that you're, you know, talking about. I I just notice when I focus on those, my mental health goes to shit. Absolutely. I mean, um, the titles are very nice, and you feel, you get, like, kind of pumped up, and you feel really good about it. Um, I'll tell you that there was no greater feeling um, than when I had left my last job and I had this like stack of business cards in my um, you know like the the classic when you're leaving the office you know you do like that walk of shame out (laughs) for me it was like a walk of victory but you know um, you know I had my box full of stuff and there was a box of business cards in there with my name on it and they're worthless now you know um, because they have my old job title my old address all that sort of stuff on them but I still had them and I looked at that box of business cards, and I was like looking at my title and all my credentials behind it, and I was like, "This is, this is fucking worthless." Like, now that I'm not there, I am none of this. You know who I am? I'm Stephen Cordova. I'm not Stephen Cordova. Da 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 da. At the da 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 da. It's I'm Stephen Cordova, and you know I like the titles. You know I I still I still do. You know I still like you know, signing my name with my credentials. It, it is nice, uh, mostly because I spent a lot of money obtaining those fancy little acronyms at the end of my name. Um, but, you know, kind of what you're saying about, like, the scale and then the, the trade-offs um, brings me back to one of my favorite books, which is Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance by Robert Persig. And in that, you know, that's talking about the quality of work and the, the balance between, because uh, the main conflict, conflict in that is between the main character's perspective of I work on my motorcycle myself, um, I learn everything, I do all the maintenance myself, versus his friend who just pays other people to do it for him. And it comes down into like this little thought experiment of, you know, what about working on your own things um, is valuable to you versus just having the money to spend to fix it. And you know, that's the thing about working with mental health is it's not easy. It's actually hard work. Um, and, and it's work that, you know, you don't see the immediate benefit to. And when you're, you know, looking at yourself and, you know, you're talking with yourself and working with a therapist and doing all that stuff, man, my therapist pisses me off sometimes because he, he hits me right where he knows I need to be hit. And that's hard work, and that's something that a lot of people will kind of shrug away from. And, uh, you know, like my thesis here are these self-imposed cages, so to speak. And 
And so what am I gaining by having more money, more titles, more this, that, and the other? Well, I'm really very important once I'm in those four walls, but then once I'm out and I'm at home, who am I? Well, I'm Stephen Cordova. And I felt, I started feeling like this vessel that was just showing up to this job. At, like I was putting on like this, uh, I don't know if it even makes sense, but you know, putting on the superhero costume and then going home and being Clark Kent, right. you know, but who is Clark Kent when you go home at the end of the day, yeah. you know? And so putting all my passion into work and, and that satisfaction, you know, yes, it's a toxic environment, but it's also a toxic thought process to put myself in that space and force myself to stay in that space and tell myself that I have no value outside of that space. And, you know, I, and nothing's overnight, you know, I, I've got this new job. It's been a lot of work. Um, it's certainly not like that easy, like, yay, everything's perfect now. Um, no, I have a lot of work ahead of me at my new position. Um, I, and I fully accepted that. And I'm not this different person than I was six months ago. Um, I, I, ha I have different tendencies, I'll say that. Um, I'm not a drastically different person. Um, I'm lucky I haven't gained that much weight, um, you know, from staying home all day. But, <laughs> um, but I've, I've completely changed how I think about myself and about what my priorities are. And, um, you know, you had me thinking earlier about, you know, when you're paying off your house, you know, you're saying like, oh, it'd be really nice to pay off my house sooner. Okay, well then what after that? You know, okay, now you have this extra, you know, three grand a month that you're not spending on a house. Okay, great. Now what? Bigger house? Bigger car? You know, it's like, what at that point? You know? Yeah, it, I mean, I, to chime in real fast on what you're saying, yeah, you struck the nail on the head. It's like, yeah, I pay off the house quicker, but then what do I do after that? I, it's almost like I got to create something to to have as a as my goal. You know, as someone that owns a, a Toyota Tacoma, I will always find something to spend money on. It is it's actually amazing how you can spend you know four or five thousand dollars on a, on a vehicle and still have a list. You know, it's absolutely insane. Not to mention, I have a motorcycle too. That's uh, that's a whole other you know can of worms, but. Um, you know, so thinking of satisfaction of, you know, your life as a whole, and, and that's really, you know, uh, satisfaction in life outside of work is its own beast, you know, and that's just the general total happiness. You know, what I'm really thinking about more is, you know, the quality of work and the importance you put on work, but knowing that's a wholly separate part of your being. Because, uh, you know, what started to depress me is looking back at when I was in high school, before I was working. And, like, what kind of person was I then? What things did I enjoy doing then? And what changed once I had to join the workforce, you know? Mm. And it's something I can't avoid. I have to work. I have to, you know, survive. Um, but what, what about me changed? And I was so tired of hearing people talking about how depressed they are in their jobs. And I was like, well, then do something about it, you know? But then I'm not doing anything about it. The hypocrite. Well, then that's when you got to change, right? Um, the, so the catalyst, you know, before I hand it back over to you, the catalyst was my friend, a really good friend of mine, quit his job at the beginning of the pandemic and started his own business and took a huge risk. And he has still yet to turn a profit. But I'll tell you right now, I was incredibly jealous when he did it. 
And I was like, oh, my God, I need that. And I started thinking, but I'm trapped. I can't have what he has. Well, as it turns out, I can. There you go. Yes, that's such a great point. Um, and it leads me to a couple questions, which is we you're talking about being trapped in a box and obviously the action taking the action thinking about the action is almost harder than taking the action for for me it was um i spent months and months and months you know like dwelling over this but then once i took the action actually kind of felt pretty damn good um but you touched on a few things when you're talking about mental health being really really hard work steven you're not selling me on this like I mean, I'm, why, why would I do it if it's so hard? Which it, I just want to bring some of these questions up. And I'm not going to put you on the spot without examples. And so my question is at hand is if it's so hard, why do it? What's the benefit? And for me, I can share with you that the hard work that I've put in for mental health has really changed my energy throughout the day. I used to be hyperactive I'm still hyperactive but what has changed is I'm less hyperactive throughout the day because I'm not as anxious so some of that so now when I need to be hyperactive it's like you're a hundred percent and so you know that part is has changed for me is my angst and my anxiety has gone away so um, not a hundred percent complete probably about 90 um, but I don't fidget constantly like I always used to fidget. Now, when I need to get up and go, I get up and go, but I don't sit there and tap my foot on the chair or flick a pencil back and forth. Like, I don't fidget. Like, my anxiety, that part's gone. The other thing that the hard work for me at this point has really helped with is I was really, really, really good at setting boundaries and really, really, really bad at sticking to them. And I would set these boundaries, and then I'd move them out a little further, and move them out a little further, and move them out a little further. And next thing you know, I was in a different lake. <laughs> My boundaries had moved so far that I was completely gone. So with that being said, if the mental work is, is the mental health is so hard, if the work is so hard, what makes it worth it? That's that's the age old question, isn't it? Um, you know, I used to I used to smoke cigarettes, and um, I I was firmly under the belief, um, you know, I'd try to quit, and then I'd keep going again, and try to quit, and then keep going again. Well, the the problem was I was trying, I wasn't actually doing it. Um, you know, to go all Jedi on you there, but <laughs> the the real the real trick of it was uh, I didn't actually quit until I was ready. Um, you know, I had to make that conscious decision. I'm like, okay, I'm doing this now. And, you know, with working on your mental health, you know, I, I work directly with clients now who, um, you know, who struggle with mental health, going through mental health crisis, which usually means, you know, uh, schizophrenia, attempted suicide, major severe depression, addiction to substances like uh, methamphetamine, heroin, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I do get clients that come in and they just expect this building to be magic for them and that they can just sit and watch Netflix and eat the spaghetti and just like, oh, I'll get better. Um, and then three days have passed and I'm like, well, it's time for you to leave. And they're like, well, I don't feel better. I'm like, well, you didn't participate. Like, 
you have to work with us, you know, and gosh, it's so frustrating when people are like, well, you know, well, you're a mental health professional. What should I do? It's like, well, you know, it's, it's not the magic pill. Um, it's even when you're on medications too, it's not, medication only takes you so far. It gets you 90% of the way. And then there's that last 10%, the actual work you have to put into it. Um, and I have had clients ask me, you know, why should I do this? Why should I even try? Um, and, you know, we're talking clients that are anywhere from like the SPMI, the serious persistent mental illness, to, you know, someone that was just, you know, depressed and then might have gone a little bit too far when they were drinking or something and, you know, tried to hurt themselves. And anywhere in between, there are people that are saying, well, I don't know why I need to work on this. Um, and it's like, well, you have to motivate yourself with external factors. You know, like, oh, you want to see your kids again, or you want to have housing again. You know, those are the goals that people focus on. But the people that actually get better, in my experience, are the ones who say, I want to be better. It's not, I want to be better because X. I want to be better because that. It is, I want to feel better. I don't want to feel like this anymore. And it's no different than, you know, I struggle with exercise and, you know, keeping weight off. It's no different than saying, well, I really want to lose weight but I don't want to work on it. <laughs> it's like the same thing. It's just in the head and not on your waist, you know? Yeah. And there's uh, there's no magic pill. There's no magic solution. There's no, like, um, the, you know, there's no job that's perfect. There's no spouse that's perfect. There's nothing like that. Um, when you want to feel better, it's you're going to realize it's because you don't want to suffer in your own head anymore. It almost sounds like you're trying to say, like, the reason why we do it is because we hit the point where we're ready to start being kind to ourselves. We're ready to start taking action, and we're ready to start focusing on a new perspective with new enlightenments. Because it seems like, you know, even though the work is really, really hard, what you get out of it, the education that you get out of it, is tenfold. And for me, I'll give you an example on this. is um, I used to be really bitter towards my dad. Um, you know, just his, he is a projected perfectionist, um, you know, where he has all these super high expectations about you, but then he doesn't do anything close to them. And definitely a full-blown, you know, hypocrite. And it, you know, it really led me down this road of just constantly feeling inadequate. And so, like, the hard work that I've put in has given me a perspective that now I realize the reason why my dad is that way is because he has a lot of things from his abusive childhood that he has not grown up from and has not got over. And I see my dad's anger now at, in its real form, which is actually sadness and hurt coming out as anger. Anger is the easiest emotion to feel, especially when you're a man, because it's, it's acceptable. Yeah. That's it's a really good point, Steve. And seriously, it is. Like, you get really, I mean, 
how many people do you know where it's like the first thing you know a guy does is it's like oh yeah you want to start some shit oh we start talking right how many times do you ever see people say you know i'm really upset with you let's sit down and have an enlightened conversation about each other's perspective so that we can better understand each other like that never ever ever happens so i guess for me like i guess what i'm saying is the hard work i put in has made me realize that the action that my dad is taking is actually from his own suffering and that is what's impacting me but it's not directed at me so in order to do so from that i've been educated more and now i can have different approaches when we interact and converse so i would say you know the hard work brings you to almost a higher consciousness oh absolutely you're you're you know putting up walls and um to res like resist storms from the future you know and there are people that go through trauma um, you know i also have uh, major issues with my father you know he was abused when he was a kid and then um, was by proxy abusive to me and um you know i still don't find benefit in having a relationship with him um but I have come to terms with his effect on my life. And a lot of his feelings, I realized, were my feelings when I became a young man. Because his words were ringing in my head. Those lessons, those, those projected frustrations, um, the, the wounds from other people bleeding onto me, um, so on and so forth there. And my dad has never worked on his mental health. Um, he came from a very different culture and came from a very different time when they didn't talk about that sort of thing. And truthfully, whenever I would show emotion, whenever I'd cry or, or things like that, he would just tell me I was a faggot or that, you know, you're acting just like your mother and you can't be like that. And um, that gave me the perspective, well, m well, emotions are for weak people. Emotions are for gays and all that sort of stuff. And then... Uh, you realize that that's not a very effective way to go about your life because when you have significant others, friendships, uh, work, all those sort of things, when your immediate trigger is just anger that you were always taught was okay, and then there's the underlying feelings, well, people aren't going to understand your underlying feelings when you've already yelled at them. You know, that's the classic abuse scenario, the, the lock that you get into there. Yeah. Um, Oh, 100%. And I mean, what you're saying about your dad definitely is sounds familiar. And um, what I've also learned is it's kind of that trickle-down effect that we talked about earlier with environment. And if your dad's suffering a bad environment in his head, he's going to trickle down that environment onto you. Um, almost kind of like what corporations do sometimes. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> 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 yeah and, and on you know and on that note it, it really triggers something with me is you know you you talk about putting yourself trapping yourself in a box and you know you talk about your dad you're thinking about your dad you're thinking about your colleagues you had a toxic boss and it's kind of like get others out of your head like the only voice in your head should be yours when it comes to self-growth and you know 
therapist. I mean, why is it that everybody who's doing well in life has seen a therapist? Like you, Father Joel, me, like, you know. And <laughs> I think it's because, like, professional help is not a bad thing. I mean, I even remember telling my dad one time that I was going to therapy, and his first answer was, oh, I didn't know there was something wrong with you. <laughs> it was like, I just remember looking at my dad and being like, yo, yeah, dad, I'm a basket case. And like just left it at that because, I mean, he wasn't interested in what I had to say. But like getting others out of your head, getting those voices out of your head so that you can actually think about you and then decide what action you're going to take from that. And, you know, you and I both took the action of leaving the company that we worked for, so so to say, or being forced forced out or you know, I guess what I mean is we hit a point where something had to change is what I'm trying to say. And it was like, action has to happen. Action is ultimately the only thing that we can do to influence our lives. Um, it, it's the catalyst, the tool of which we use to interact with our environment and help us to become the kind of people we want to be. And I think the one of my favorite uh, sayings is that um, potential is just wasted opportunity. So we all have the potential to be a great person. All the potential to be, you know, I could be a great therapist or a great psychiatrist someday. Um, but if I'm not acting towards those goals, then what am I doing? You know, I am. I have multiple facets of my life, multiple hobbies that. I'm, I'm being a hypocrite in it because I just restored an old Honda motorcycle, you know, piece by piece, restored that thing. And I didn't have any problem doing that. I had to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to paint the frame, rebuild the motor, you know, everything. It took me months. Mm -hmm. But I started it and I finished it. You know, I, I had the goal in, in mind of what I wanted it to look like and I brought it to that place. It wasn't going to do itself. If I left that in the garage, it was not going to put itself back together. Almost reminds me of what you were saying earlier of the action you take has got to be something you want to do. Exactly. I wanted to ride that motorcycle. You, you, yeah, you took it. Um, Sorry, you know, Steve, no, I oh no, that. you're, we're vibing on the same level here. I love it. Um, <laughs> no, like that motorcycle wasn't going to build itself, you know, um, but on the flip side, I'm a writer and, you know, I have this great idea for a book. Haven't written a single sentence. Yeah. You know, well, the book's not going to finish itself unless I start that first sentence. But it's that jump mm -hmm. off um, that is the hardest part. You know, it's that putting in your two weeks' notice or looking for another job or booking that therapy appointment. It's always that breaching that threshold is always the hardest thing to do. And you won't do it until you're ready. And sometimes we have to go through major trauma in order to cause ourselves mm -hmm. to make that move. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm not saying sit around and wait for trauma to happen. Yeah. But I, I fall victim to the whole, you know, I have a big belief in the universe, the divine. I believe that everything's meant to be, that things will work out the way that they should work out. But that can lead to like this certain essence of apathy where all I got to do is just sit here and wait until the good things happen to me. It kind of, it, I'm going to jump in for a second. I love what you're saying. I, the jumping off is a lot of times what people 
say is the hardest part is taking that first step, taking that first action. And I agree to disagree. I think getting to the point where jumping off is really, really hard does feel like the hardest step. But I'm going to piggyback on something else. It's more about jump and wait. And to me, the waiting was the hardest part because I knew I was, I knew that my cash cow job had ended and I knew that it was probably going to be six to eight months before I, you know, found something that I really liked that spoke to me and the waiting was the, was even harder than the jumping and, and I found myself falling into kind of what Steven's talking about with what I call passive manifestation, where it's like if I sit here and I'm like, I'm no longer at work. Here I am, world. Dean McGinnis is here. What do you have for me? They don't care. And it's like, so in order to do that, you got to make it. And every time I picked up the phone for you know, to contact somebody like even Steven just now. And, and we started talking about doing a podcast because we were having some really good conversations. And, and from that, it led to a company that he knows about and a job interview um, that, you know, I'm going to go on tomorrow. And, and, but it would have never came up if I didn't take the action to start talking to Steven that I was still out of a job and looking for work. And so it's not like all of a sudden the universe just dropped a job interview in my hand. I had to take action to get there. So if you're going to jump, understand that there's a waiting period too. But within that waiting period, you can either passively manifest something to happen or you can start to take action to actually make something happen. And you didn't reach out to me, you know, expecting that there was going to be a job opportunity on no. the other side of it. Um, I you just know, wanted a podcast. <laughs> you know what? That's even better. <laughs> um, for me, at least. But, the, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the really cool things. And I have to keep reminding myself that because I'm still kind of struggling through those sort of things. Um, I've, I've had a really, really tough year, even pre-COVID. Um, things have been really, really difficult in my personal life. Uh, romantically, I I had a friend tragically pass away suddenly um, in January. So uh, my, I had to change my living situation. You know, I've dealt with a lot of uh, change and trauma this year on top of the pandemic. But the uh, the thing I have to keep telling myself is, yes, things are meant to be. And, and whenever something works out, I always just joke with myself, like, I don't even know why I worry because it always works out, right? But you're absolutely right. It's the passive manifestation. I love that term. I'm going to write that down somewhere. Um, that, like, you're just kind of sitting and just waiting for God to, like, smite you with the perfect woman or something. Or, like, just out of nowhere and put no effort into it. But sometimes it's the most innocuous thing is, like, reaching out to an old friend and being like, hey, I saw your truck the other day. What are you up to? You know? Yeah. That sort of thing. And And so, you know, taking action doesn't always mean directly going and applying for a job you know when I found my job at my new place I wasn't like I was very passively looking I wasn't actually actively looking for a job it was just that I really disliked my 
one of my bosses so much that every time she and I would get into a disagreement, I would go and apply for a job to make myself feel better. And it just so happened that this one I applied for I actually really, really liked. So it all worked out in the end, but you know, it's taking those indirect routes, but not just sitting around and, and feeling sorry for yourself and being depressed. It's, you know, reaching out to those friends, keeping in contact. That's all part of having uh, mental health and well-being is keeping your circle, uh, you know, doing things, obviously, you know, pandemic, you know, doing things safely, uh, responsibly, but, you know, still living your life and you never know what comes of it. Because, you know what, I put myself in a box and I was the one that took myself out of it. It just, I had to hit the point where I realized that it was my own prison. I love that you made that point. Isn't that interesting that the box that you put yourself in is actually locked from the inside and not from the outside because it really feels like the other Damn way. Damn, boy. <laughs> it really does feel like it's the other way sometimes. And you do. We were like, God damn, this lock, this lock, this lock. And then you're like, oh, there's a combination lock inside. And I actually know the combination. Like, it's not as sometimes you're like, oh, my God. So, oh, Steven, I like, I, you know, you and I could definitely go for another hour, but um, on that, like, note, like you said, it, it doesn't have to be a, a monumental mountain of action, you know, but if I think about calling you versus actually calling you, that is that action that I'm talking about. Um, and, you know, and, and so those, I would say having all those, other thoughts in your head from your dad, from your mom, from your colleagues, you know, it breaks us down. When you constantly put yourself into a box and you lock yourself from the inside and then ask people on the outside to let you out, it breaks us down because we're looking at it from the wrong perspective and in my point of view as well and Stevens as well in our education um, and our own personal experiences. So, you know, as we're wrapping up here, do you have some final thoughts that you'd like to end on with uh, kind of your transition and kind of how, how your day maybe isn't quite as much as a breakdown now, even though the work is harder? Well, you know how uh, you, know, you think about dietary, there's, there's the good fats and the bad fats, the good cholesterol and the bad cholesterol, all that sort of stuff. There's good stress and bad stress. My new job is stressful. There are challenges ahead of me but it doesn't weigh on me. You know, it's, it's not stress that chips away at me, it's stress that, it, it's a challenge. And I love a challenge. I love looking at some, a project. And, you know, so, you know, wrapping up, it's like self-actualization, the process of making actions towards your future. You might not even know that, and that's what therapy is there for. Um, and getting the help from colleagues, friends, all that sort of stuff. Help get other people who are outside your self-imposed cage to look in and remind you that you still have the latch on the inside of it. Um, and, and to close, I do have yet another Nietzsche quote, and this one is very applicable. No one can construct for you the bridge upon which precisely you must cross the stream of life, no one but yourself alone. I like that. I really like that. And on that note, we are going to sign off. My final word is 
basically wrapped around the patience. Your journey is your life. It's not going to happen in one month. It's not going to happen in one week. It's not going to happen in one year. Take your time to grow. Take your time to get help when you need it and to spend the rest of your time, you know, focusing on you when it's appropriate. But if you don't ever focus on you, nobody else is going to make it a priority. Steven, thank you so much for having you today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, sir. I hope to see you again soon. Me too. Everyone else, thank you for your time. Thank you for your ears. Stay well.